What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you get all of our new podcasts, articles, news and notes, really any baseball content at all that we put out at Sports Ethos. You guys can check it out over there at EthosFantasyBB. If you're not somebody who uses Twitter, you guys can go right to SportsEthos.com and get all of that same great work. Got a lot of fun stuff in the works now with the new year, just about 10 days away, 11 days away, whenever you guys are listening to this. And once January comes, that's when we're going to really have a lot of fun. I haven't brought a guest onto the show for the majority of the off season. We're going to change that coming in January. We're going to try and bring on at least two or three guests every single week um, as much as I possibly can because it's something that I've gotten away from a little bit. And it's something that I really enjoy. I know you guys tend to enjoy those episodes when we bring on another person from the fantasy community. They're always a lot of fun for me and for you guys and for everybody. So we're going to get back into that with team previews in January. We're also going to preview specific categories, runs, RBIs, home runs, strikeouts, etc. And we're going to do that with a bunch of fun guests as well. We also got some fun written work uh, in the works. I guess I've been overusing that word here. Uh, but we got a lot of fun stuff coming up at sportsethos.com as well. So just make sure you guys are aware of all that we have going on. But today we're going to continue what we did yesterday, which is starting pitcher review slash previews. We went through one through numbers 10 on the Yahoo player ranker in terms of starting pitcher rankings. I might end up going to Rasball next year. I just, I don't know. I I think Yahoo is more well-known and people generally use that, but I do think that Rasball is probably a little bit more accurate. I'm going to weigh it, but regardless for this year, we're using Yahoo and we're going to pick up with the number 11 starting pitcher from this past season. And that was Justin Steele. Justin Steele did it again. A lot of us, myself included, were not 100% sure if Justin Steele was going to be able to repeat what we saw from him when he broke out in 2022. Uh, It was really his first offering as a starter. In 2021, he started nine games. He appeared in 11 games in relief, 57 innings. He didn't really make much of a name for himself, 426 ERA. It was whatever. Uh, But then in 2022, he started 24 games. He only won four of them. That pesky win category came to bite him there, even though he had a 3.18 ERA, and the supporting metrics were really, really strong. The walk rate was a little bit high, but other than that, there was a lot to really like about Justin Steele's breakout in 2022, and then he did it again in 2023, and then some. He added 55 or so innings, getting up to 173. He won 16 games, despite having the same ERA pretty much at 3.06, it's the luck of the win, and that's why, you know, as a side note here, we mentioned it yesterday, mentioned all the time, don't put too much stock into somebody who might have been ranked really high in a given season because they had a ridiculous win total because that does weigh pretty heavily into fantasy rankings. But when the supporting metrics, you know, that's my point there is if there's somebody who has like a 4.7 ERA, but they won 14 games, that's probably kind of lucky. But Justin Steele, you know, he won 16 games and he actually deserved it. Uh, he had a 3.06 ERA, and the underlying metrics were just as good. He had a 3.32 xFIP. He had a 3.02 FIP. If you look at his Sierra, which I really like to look at as well, 3.61. That walk rate that I mentioned that was kind of a problem for him in 2022, it went away in 2023, and it was actually a sparkling 5% walk rate with the exact same K rate, 24.6%. Nearly a 20% strikeout minus walk rate, which gets you into that elite territory. Justin Steele, if you guys remember, it wasn't that long ago this season we were talking about him as being a Cy Young candidate, and he was, for the majority of the season, somebody that we really thought had a chance. Now, down the stretch, there was a couple of bad starts for him, and it absolutely ruined his chances. It was against Arizona on the road and then at home against Pittsburgh, two starts consecutively where he gave up six earned runs in each of them. That killed his chances. Other than those two starts, though, it was hard to really fault him this season. He was incredibly consistent. Just going through his game log, there was one game against Cincinnati uh, in May where he allowed five earned runs, and there was one game also in May against Houston in Houston where he allowed five earned runs. Other than that, he did not allow more than three for the entirety of the season until you get into those final starts. So it was only four out of his 30 starts where he allowed more than three earned runs. He was incredibly consistent. Strikeouts were good. The walks were really nice. And that whip came down. You know, it was a bit of a problem in 22 because of the high walk rate. He went from 1.35 to 1.17 on the whip. And, you know, that's something that they're not really expecting it to continue in the projections, but it's hard to think that it's going to go back up that much. They think it'll go up to 1.25, which might be a reasonable projection. 
I don't really see why Steele couldn't give you a similar kind of walk rate to last year. Maybe it goes to like six or seven, maybe. But I think you're going to be generally kind of in the same ballpark. He has really improved over the last couple of seasons. He's really come a long way as a pitcher in a very, very short time without really having that defining kind of trait as a starting pitcher. You know, he's not really the nastiest pitcher. He's not going to pop up on stuff metrics. He throws about 92 on the fastball. It's what he's averaging. You know, fastball slider, that's his repertoire, really. He mixes in a very rare curveball and changeup. But he's not somebody who's really going to pop out at you. And that might be why he's kind of going to fly under the radar a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong. He's not going to fly under the radar to the same extent that he did last year because people really didn't buy it. But, you know, he did it another time. So people are drafting him at a more reasonable price uh, at this point, probably. 102 is his ADP with 42 on the minimum, 136 on the maximum. It's hard to not want to take a shot on him in that range. Now, you got to remember, like we said with the win, 16 is probably not reachable again. Maybe it can happen. It probably won't. You, you shouldn't go into the season expecting that. You should probably look at the projections and say, okay, about 12 and win projections as somebody who's doing projections myself this year. It's really hard to to figure out what to put down for guys, and it's essentially everybody's going to be projected in like the 10 to 14 kind of range. For the average starting pitcher, they're all going to be in there. I think Strider's projected for 15 on Steamer. There's going to be some maybe for piss-poor teams who aren't projected for a full season that are you know for six, seven, eight, whatever. Generally speaking, it's almost impossible to predict how many wins a guy's going to get. That was a good chunk of the value, don't get me wrong, but he also had the sustaining skills. So if you, even if he has 11 wins next season, I do think that with the decent strikeout rate there, twenty nearly 25%, with the good control, with the great underlying metrics, I really do think that he is somebody that can function as like a starting pitcher number three in your rotation. Building It really depends on how you build your team. But in that range, I think he's probably you know wisely suited as like your third starting pitcher. Some people will avoid starting pitching very early on, and I've talked about that as a strategy that I can implement sometimes because I really think that I can trust myself in terms of evaluating starting pitching to get some nice guys later on in drafts. It Again, it really depends on you. I think Justin Steele is probably best suited as like a starting pitcher three at best, though. You're probably playing with fire if he's one of your top two pitchers because he doesn't, again, have that massive defining trait the strikeout rate is good but it's not you know ace level good um i think the supporting metrics are good but it's also not coming on a very winning ball club necessarily i think they're going to lose bellinger we've talked about how he was a huge piece of their offense this past season and they nearly snuck into the playoffs but again they weren't a playoff team even with him he's going to go not sure what that team is going to look like in terms of win totals next year but I do think that Steele is going to be a very reliable pitcher. The, the projection is a 3.69, call it 3.7 ERA from Steamer. I think you're probably looking closer to like 3.5-ish. That's what I'll have him projected for, 3.5, 3.6. I don't have any real worry with that projection. But again, it's not like an ace level. So unless you want to get real cute with it and take him, you know, take the first seven picks off the board as batters and then go Justin Steele, I wouldn't recommend that you, you maybe could get away with it because he has been that good these last couple seasons where he's given you kind of ace level fantasy value. I don't know that I'd project him to continue on that trajectory necessarily. I think he's going to be a really solid mid-fantasy rotation type of guy. And maybe that's selling him short a little bit, like a number three starter. Potentially a two is not really mid. It's more front end. Just don't get carried away and think, well, he's been an ace the last two seasons. I'm getting an ace here again. I think you're getting a really, really good pitcher, and you're paying a reasonable price outside, just either just outside or just inside of the top 100, depending on your room. I think it's reasonable, but don't get carried away with Steele thinking that he is a Cy Young-level pitcher because that was probably a peak year, in all honesty. I think he's still really good. Uh, just don't get too carried away with your evaluation. Let's move on to number 12, and that's Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler has become really so consistent in Philadelphia these last several seasons. It's really incredible. Um, the turnaround that happened once he left New York, it was pretty drastic, and it was pretty immediate as soon as he got to Philadelphia. And he wasn't terrible in New York. He had a couple of good seasons near the end, but he became a, a true ace-level pitcher in Philly, and we've seen that for each of the last four seasons. Now, he had a 3.61 ERA, which was the highest we have seen from him in Philadelphia, but it also came with really strong uh, underlying ERA estimators. A 3.53 Sierra is really good. A 3.54 XFIP, 3.15 FIP, 3.21 XERA. You know, when that 3.61 is like the highest number out of the bunch, when your ERA is higher than all your estimators, you're doing something right, and he definitely was. Strikeouts are still real strong for him, 27% K rate with that great 5% walk rate, which was the lowest of his career. 
and the 22% K minus walk was the second highest he's had uh, aside from the 2021 season. He gave you 32 starts. He gave you 26 the year before, 32 the year before that. He has been a guy who is pretty much always healthy. He's been a face of consistency. Again, that's not to say that you're always going to be healthy once you've been healthy, but Wheeler has been a guy that you can rely on for huge strikeout numbers and huge volume while also pitching for successful teams, and that's led to good win totals. Again, it doesn't always work that way, but it has happened to work that way for Zach Wheeler, uh, Zach Wheeler the last three seasons, 13, 12, and 14 wins. He's been racking up double-digit wins pretty much in every single year as a starter. No reason to think that's going to change. I think Philadelphia is going to be just as good as they were with the caveat that wins are random. I think you can probably pencil him in for 12 to 13, 12 to 14 pretty comfortably. No reason to think that strikeout rate is going to go anywhere. I think the, the projections are too low. They're calling for a 24.7% K rate. I think you're probably still looking at something that's closer to 30 than it is to 25 with him. Either, you know, 27, even if it's like 26 and a half, I know that's that's closer to 25, but I don't think it's going to be below 25. I think they're they're overestimating there. Uh, but we're still, again, if you look at the projections, a 3.54 ERA with a 1.15 whip. You're getting an ace-level pitcher based on the projections. And again, I've talked about how much I can I trust Steamer personally for pitchers at this point. I think they do a really good job. I know there's varying opinions on projections and Steamer in particular, but I do think they do a really good job. And they tell you Wheeler is going to be able to generally replicate what we've seen over his Phillies tenure. Now, his price is expensive. He is real expensive. He's going in the second round by ADP, 29.1, 17 on the minimum, 43 on the maximum. That's not going anywhere. In fact, it'll probably even edge up a little bit towards the middle of the second round of 15-teamers, maybe even towards, you know, not the first round necessarily, but early second round picks like you're seeing there with the 17 minimum. You're going to see that happen more and more, especially in these uh, NFBC drafts as you get closer to the year. I don't know what it's going to look like once Yahoo and ESPN open up their boards. I can't wait until they open up their sites for the year. I mean, they still have the old uh, the old data on from last year. I'm not sure when. I think it's like January sometime they, they open it up. But I'm interested to see what the ADPs are going to look like once we see some different sites and we get some different players drafting, whether it's mocks or real drafts. I think Wheeler is probably going to go in this general range, though. If you're talking this ADP, then it's very early in the third round of a 12-teamer. No problem. I really don't have a problem with it. I think, again, with my own personal strategies and my philosophy for this year, I'm not taking a pitcher in the first two rounds unless it's Spencer Strider because that's just what my gut is telling me to do. Once it gets to the third round, I'm probably targeting Kevin Gosman as the guy. And if I miss on Gosman, then I'd go to Wheeler. Um, I don't have a huge difference between them. I think Gosman's better, but I'm just talking about like for myself personally, right? And in terms of what I think the general public should be doing – it really is not a situation where I feel comfortable giving generic advice just because, and I've mentioned this a lot, everybody is so different, right? If you feel real comfortable in your pitcher evaluations, then you don't necessarily need to take second round Zach Wheeler. There's a lot of guys in this range, mid to end of the second round, that are doing things you can't find later on down the board, whether it's a guy like Austin Riley or Raphael Devers, Francisco Lindor, Marcus Simeon, one of these guys that you can count on for volume and for production across four or five categories. I think that's honestly probably more valuable in this range than Wheeler and that's what I'm going to be leaning towards a lot of the time if you're somebody who would rather buy into early pitching and not have to worry about streaming pitching because that is one of the more annoying things in in fantasy in my mind is having to stream to keep up with your opponent whether it's roto or head-to-head it doesn't really matter streaming pitching can be frustrating in a 15-teamer specifically because there's not really a lot of options on the wire in a given week, you might be streaming like a rich Hill type or a wall Chuck for Oakland or some nonsense because you just need the volume. If you take a lot of early pitching, it's not something you're generally going to have to deal with. So there is definitely reason to go towards that strategy. I just don't necessarily think that Wheeler's worth a second round ADP. Once you get to, you know, home league drafts, Yahoo, ESPN, et cetera, if he's going like the fourth round in my 12 team or third or fourth round, that's when I'd be a little more interested probably and this is kind of where he is now on NFBC. But until we have those sites open up and we have drafts, we don't really know. All that being said, I really like Wheeler. I think the skills are pretty unimpeachable for fantasy purposes. I just don't love having to pay a second-round price for him. But I don't think you'd be crazy to be doing it either. All right, let's move on to the next player we have here, and that is Kevin Gosman, my guy, I am obviously a Toronto fan. If you guys have listened to the show for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about that. I don't think I'm biased in saying that Kevin Gosman is a top three or four pitcher in all of baseball at worst. 
And I had the opinion that he was that good before he came to Toronto based on how well he did in San Francisco. If you look at leaderboards, specifically from this past season, you can even stretch it out over the past couple of seasons. Kevin Gosman is right at the top of a lot of very important categories. If you look at the XFIP, he is fourth in all of baseball. If you look at FIP, he was third. XERA, he doesn't do as well, and he comes in 18th. That is his lowest-ranking ERA indicator metric. In terms of the actual ERA this season, he was seventh. And if you look at Sierra, which I, I love to look at Sierra, you guys know this by now, he comes in on the leaderboard with the fourth best number. Now, if you look at a more traditional number, like strikeout minus walk rate, he is second in all of baseball to Spencer Strider this year. He was giving you the third best K rate, isolated K rate there, um, behind only Snell and Strider. He is incredible. He is incredible. He pitches for a team that should give you a good chance at, op- uh, at win opportunities. We've seen that for him the last couple of seasons, 12 and 12. That's totally fine, right? With the variance of pitching and you know how guys can give you such a, a wide range, you'll take 12, right? You got Sonny Gray last year, who was an all-star level Cy Young candidate, came second in voting. He only got you eight wins. So randomness does happen. I think the 12 number is really solid for Gosman. You can project something very similar. Now, his strikeouts, elite for the last four seasons. I don't think there's going... I don't think that number's going anywhere, considering how nasty he is and how nasty that splitter is. He's putting away 30% of batters again. I, I would not be surprised if he's... I'd be surprised if he doesn't. And the projections are calling for about a 28% K rate. We're kind of splitting hairs there. Even if it's 29, it'd still be excellent. But I do think you're probably closer to that 30 mark. The control has always been really good for Gosman, and that's something that a lot of pitchers with these massive strikeout numbers do struggle with from time to time, is not being able to control the ball. But Gosman has a 6.6 career walk rate. That is incredible. The whip is a little bit high. The whip is still a little bit high, and that's because the BAPIP has always been kind of high, but it's been inflated a little bit in Toronto these last couple of seasons. 363 in 2022 was ridiculous, and then 321 this year was still among the league leaders. I think he was third in all of baseball. But even with that, he gave you a 3.16 ERA. I mentioned how strong he was in all the supporting metrics. I have no reason to not want to take Kevin Gosman. Now, I'm going to be constructing some teams – Again, I'm going to play in, in a few different, probably a, f- a few. I'm probably going to play in like 10 or 12 different leagues this year once all is said and done. I've already drafted two, signed up for a third. So it's it's going to get ugly right? <laughs> once we get to March. So I'm going to try a few different strategies, but there will definitely be one team where I go batter, batter, and then Gosman and start my pitching with Gosman. Because first of all, as a Toronto guy, I do want to have him on one of my teams to root for. I have no shame in saying that. And I'm not, it's not like just, oh, he's a terrible player you want on your team. He is genuinely one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. And I do want to be rooting for him uh, on one of my teams. So I'm going to construct, I'm not sure which team it'll be. We'll have to just see how draft rooms go. And again, he'll get more expensive. So I should probably do this sooner than later. But I do want to have a team where I'm taking batter, batter. Maybe if I get an early pick, right? If I get like an Acuna first overall type of pick, I'll take Gosman going back into the third round with another batter. And then I'll be happy with that there. I think that's a very reasonable price to be paying. His range is very similar to Wheeler. 17 on the minimum, 45 on the maximum. Do not be surprised if people are paying second-round prices because that's what he's worth, I think, honestly. Uh, And you're going to start to see that more and more. Right now, it's kind of a mix. It's either second or third round based on your room. But I don't have any problem paying that price. Uh, It's a very similar kind of argument I could make for Zach Wheeler that I can for Kevin Gosman. Again, I have a slight preference for Gosman, whether you want to say that's biased or not. I don't think it is. If you just look at the raw numbers, I don't think that I am being biased. He is genuinely that good. I do think that he is worthy of this pick range, which is probably going to cost you a, a late second, early third. If you get real lucky, maybe you get him closer to that maximum. But even that maximum was the last pick in the third round. So I don't think you're slipping anywhere outside of that range. We'll see what happens once we have more sites uh, that people are drafting on. But I couldn't, I couldn't be more bullish on Gosman, to be honest. He's going to be ranked as my number two starter behind Spencer Strider in my rankings. I don't think that's going to change. Maybe we'll see what happens over the next few months, but I really don't think that's going to change too much. All right, let's talk about what are we on now? Number 14, and that is Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns disappointed a lot of people for a good chunk of this season. He was drafted as either the number one or number two starter off the board last year. It was between him and Garrett Cole, and their ADPs were so similar uh, for most of draft season that it really depended on your particular draft room as to which one went first. Burns was disappointing. No one's going to deny that, but still, you know, he showed how good he is by even in a disappointing year giving you a 339 ERA. It wasn't skills-wise 
great. You know, the other things that we saw from him, the walk rate went shooting up. It went from the last two years of being 5.2 and 6.4% up to 8.4. It's only a couple walk difference every 100 batters. It's not a massive difference, right? But it's still something to take a look at that. It has been on the upward trajectory. The strikeout rate has shockingly gone down 5% each of the last three years from 35 to 30 down to 25. And that strikeout minus walk rate went from 30 to 24 down to 17%. Now, I don't think this is just, you know, the end now for Corbin Burns and he's just done. No, every year of his career, including this year, his opponent's batting average has been below 200. It was still 199 this past season. I don't think we need to fully signal the alarm bells yet, but Corbin Burns is probably going to be overdrafted because simply, you know, people will, you know, people forget, right? People will look at the ERA and think, okay, it was a 339 ERA. He still started 32 games. He gave me a lot of volume. In terms of raw strikeouts, you're still looking at 200. People are still going to draft him at a fairly high price, and people are still paying that very high price. Uh, 25 is his ADP. He's going higher than Gosman, higher than Wheeler, higher than Castillo. He's going pretty high up, man. His minimum pick is 9, maximum is 39. I mean, I, I if you're getting him at the maximum there, I can kind of understand it, but I think that people are overpaying for him, right? The skills in general going down year to year like that is not ideal. He allowed a BABIP this year of 244. You figure it would have been, you know, a lot better results, but I think everything kind of offset with the strikeout rate going down, the BABIP going down. It was just kind of you know, meeting in the middle there somewhere. We weren't seeing what we probably should have seen. Like, if he's given up a regular BABIP this season, you're probably looking at closer to a 4 ERA, and that's what the metrics are telling us he probably should have had. A 3.8 XFIP, a 3.81 FIP, and his Sierra, this one is kind of shocking for for me personally. It was over 4. It was 4.02. You know, it was not a great season for Corbin Burns. You got all this uncertainty about the team. You know, there's talk of maybe they're going to trade Adamas and a couple other pieces. They don't have Rowdy Telez anymore. I know Rowdy didn't have a good season, but they gave up on him. I don't know what the future looks like for that team. Even though, you know, they're in a weak division, they're probably going to do okay. You're not playing as many games in the division anymore. Corbin Burns is probably not going to be on that team for terribly long. They might trade him. There's been talk that maybe he goes to the Dodgers or something, and then we totally reevaluate if he gets traded to the to a team like the Dodgers. But as of right now, I can't take him in the second round. I don't think you can justify that kind of price for a guy whose skills have gone down each of the last couple of years with such, an un- with such an uncertain team around him, right? In that range, at least with Gosman and Wheeler, you know these guys are pitching for very good teams, whether they're not you know World Series caliber like the Phillies from a couple of years ago or just like a regular playoff team. I don't know that Milwaukee is necessarily there at this point. No Woodruff anymore. Burns, I don't know what he's going to be. Peralta's kind of been a roller coaster the last couple of years. I know he was real good this past season, especially down the stretch. But I think this team as a whole is not going to be as good as we might think. You're already probably not looking at a huge win total from Burns on that team. He's never had more than 12, even in his massive, you know, amazing seasons. And he only had 10 wins this past year. He's a guy where, you know, again, I don't want to harp on with this point, but wins are random they are really random but when you're setting yourself back starting from a team that's not the greatest you're not putting yourself in a great opportunity to do very well in that category I just don't think Corbin Burns is somebody that I can really justify taking in the second round I'll probably have him ranked honestly I don't know if I'll have him inside my top 10 I think that he'll maybe maybe sneak in there but I think as of right now probably 12 or 13 uh, in my rankings I just can't see myself getting behind him that much All right, let's play a sad song now and talk about the number 15 pitcher for the season, and that was Mr. Shohei Otani. There's going to be no preview part to this one. This is more just a look back on what Otani was able to do this past season. Obviously, he had Tommy. Actually, I don't even know if it was Tommy John. There's been people who say it wasn't Tommy John, and he had some other type of elbow surgery. Regardless, Shohei's not pitching this next season. He gave you 132 innings this year, and it was, I don't know if it was his best year on the mound. That was probably 2022, but it was Damn impressive. He struck out 31% of batters. The walk rate was pretty high, and I guess that will be the big differentiator between 2022 and 2023. Was that walk rate going up over 10%? But he allowed only a 183 batting average against. He had a 1.06 whip. He was striking out everybody. 132 innings. He had 167 Ks. 314 ERA that was supported by pretty strong metrics there. Uh, 366 Sierra, 358 XFIP. Uh, it was an v- incredibly strong season from Shohei. Now, in terms of preview side of it, I don't know what Shohei's ever going to look like on the mound again. I don't think it's going to come this season. 
I could be wrong. We could all be wrong because Shohei is not somebody that you can kind of evaluate in the same light as everybody else. He's a different type of breed. What he's going to look like when he eventually pitches again is unknown at this point. But after two Tommy Johns or one Tommy John and one whatever you want to call this, it's hard to say that he's going to be the same dude that we have seen kind of dominate and put up Cy Young-worthy seasons in each of the last three years. I don't know that we're going to see that again. He might be somebody who has to be more of a reliever. I think he'll try as a starter, but will he actually be able to have a starter's workload at this point? I'm not too sure. I think the Angels got a little bit carried away these last couple of seasons, maybe not giving him as much rest as they should have. You know, he was on pace for another season this year, and if he didn't get hurt where he would have pitched like 28 games, that's a lot to go along with playing like every single day, in not in the field, but as a designated hitter. He's playing like every single day, right? He's not getting that time off. He played 158 and 157 games. This year he'd already played 135 and missed the last month. It's another 150-some-odd games he's playing. I don't know that the Angels were particularly smart in any aspect of how they used Otani and how they you know, let him go for nothing. I think still they should have traded him. That's you know, something else I'm not even going to get into. I think they were just mesmerized, like we all were, by what they were seeing on the field and didn't really want to get in the way of it too much. But I think it's probably going to hurt Shohei in the long run, if not as a batter, then specifically as a pitcher. I don't think he'll ever be the same guy again where you can kind of say, okay, he's going to give me 150 innings. I don't know you know, if he's going to be able to pitch every five days, but I know when he's out there he's going to be amazing. Maybe that's still going to be the case, but I think we're going to see him a lot less frequently on the mound here in the second half of his career, and that's because he's not going to be pitching again until he's in his 30s. He's already going to be 30 when next year starts. You're looking at 31 or so, maybe you know, late at age 30 season where he's pitching, whatever you want to call it. I just can't see him being the same exact guy again that we did see for these last three years, which is which is very unfortunate, but I think that's just kind of the nature of what's happened here with his elbow. I could be totally wrong because he is not somebody that's like anybody else we've ever seen, but I'm worried. I'm definitely a little bit worried. Let's move on to number 16, and that is Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert was able to give you an incredible season, again, second year in a row, and you got to love, if you're a Seattle Mariners fan, the three-headed monster that you have there with Gilbert, Castillo, and Kirby. You guys are set up for... Uh, you know, it looks like a decade, close to a decade anyway, of dominance with these three guys, maybe, you know, seven, eight years, if you guys play your cards right. Two consecutive seasons where he was phenomenal. The ERA went up a little bit this year, but the supporting metrics remained about exactly the same. Strikeout rate went up, walk rate went down. You know, your K-minus walk went from 16 to 20%, strikeout from 22 to 24, uh, walk rate from 6.5 down to 4.5. I love I love Logan Gilbert. I don't know. There's something about watching him pitch. He's, he's one of my absolute favorite pitchers in all of baseball to watch. 190 innings this past season, 185 the year prior. Projections have him for 189. Uh, innings pitch projections don't pay too much attention because sometimes they're a little bit wonky. But when a guy's done it the past couple seasons, I can understand why he is projected to do it again. Injuries can happen. But at this point, not really a big concern for me. With Logan Gilbert, I think that he is going to be one of those guys that you know is a really solid bargain, and bargain might not be the right word for it, but a guy that you're not paying up for necessarily that's giving you still close to an SP1 season, and that's pretty close to what we're getting here, right? He's number 16 pitcher, so it's like you know an SP2 for you, assuming you're talking, you know, this is more like a football phrase, but like the 1 through 12 SPs or SP1s, 13 through 24 SP2, that type of phrasing. Uh, Gilbert was an early SP2 this year, and you're getting him for an ADP of 68 right now. 38 on the minimum, 101 on the maximum for him. Hard not to like it. You know, really hard to, to not like that kind of price that you're paying for Logan Gilbert. Generally, right now, the most recent drafts, it's between 50 and 75, which is pretty much smack on that ADP of 68. Um, the outlier, the one that went past pick 100, that was about a month ago. I don't know how he fell that far. Congratulations to that drafter because that's going to be an incredible pick. I don't see any reason not to like Gilbert. I know that the Mariners don't look terribly great right now, but I think they're still going to be pretty okay. I don't think that division is going to be too taxing. They're kind of the mid-pack of that division, right? Uh, I think they're going to still be okay. They might not be a team that's making the playoffs, but they're going to be all right enough for Gilbert considering how good he is and the volume that I'm expecting. Should still be able to give you a decent win total with a very good strikeout rate, excellent walk rate. And probably very good ratios, you know, sub four type of ERA at least. Projections are three eight five. I think you're probably looking closer to like three five than you are to three eight five. 
Um, and the whip, I think, is going to be very good again because that walk rate was 108 this past year. They're projecting 1.17. Even if it's 1.17, that's really good. <clears throat> but I think that they're probably uh, not valuing what he does quite enough. I think you're probably looking closer to the one point. One, two, we're kind of splitting hairs at that point, but it does make a bit of a difference. I just think he's a little bit better than what we're seeing in these projections, and the projections are already pretty solid. Considering the price there at 68, I have no problem taking Gilbert. Probably, you know, again, very build-specific, build-dependent, but he could be an SP1, and I'd be okay with it as long as you take a couple guys, you know, pretty soon after to kind of bolster. You don't need necessarily to have your SP1, 2, and 3, 4. I'll be on, like, different tiers. You can have two guys like you know you take Gilbert and then you take a guy who's let me just see by ADP who's a good example here but you take Gilbert at pick 68 or 65 or whatever and then you follow that up with like a Kode Senga maybe or Grayson Rodriguez a Yuri Perez type and those guys have a bit of uncertainty maybe it's Justin Steele at 102 or maybe it's a Walker Bueller maybe it's all three of those guys and then you're having guys that are all kind of clustered in a tier and they don't necessarily need to be distinguished as who's the sp1 who's the sp2 you just have a nice grouping of starters and for that type of build i think that logan gilbert really works you know if you're taking him as your first starting pitcher and then not taking another one for 100 picks i don't think it's going to work out the same way that that could work potentially with a strider or a gosman i wouldn't recommend it for even those guys but i think you're safer to do that with a guy who has more unimpeachable skills and i think gilbert's really really good i don't think he is that ace ace sp1 type i don't think he's a top 10 guy but he is not far behind it i think he's like probably going to fall into my rankings around 15 or 16 so you know you could take him as your first starting pitcher and i'd be okay with it honestly i think that he is that good i'm a little worried about the mariners but at the same time i think they'll be fine enough where you're not going to be too worried about the win total he's going to be able to give you here Okay, let's talk about number 17, and that's Sonny Gray. It was a big surprise for me that he was able to be as good as he was. I took him, and I've mentioned this on the show before, with the very last pick in my home league draft, very last overall pick in the draft. And I figured, okay, I think it was Kansas City he had the first week of the season. I was like, okay, it's essentially a stream here. We'll see what we get. And he was good that start, and he was good the one after, and the one after, and the one after. And he ended up staying on my team the whole year. And as I mentioned earlier in the episode, Sonny Gray was number two in American League Cy Young voting. I think it should have been Gosman. I think Gosman was better, but either way, I mean, at that point, it doesn't really matter. Neither of them won, and it wasn't particularly close with Garrett Cole. But you got a 279 ERA out of Gray with pretty damn strong supporting metrics. He had a 283 FIP, he had a 364 X FIP, and he had a Sierra of 395. Only the eight wins, which does hurt his overall fantasy ranking. If he was able to give you like 13, 14 wins, as his numbers suggest, he probably should have had. Then you're probably talking about him in that you know first twelve groupings, uh, first twelve names of starting pitchers. I should say, stumbled over my words, but I think you guys get what I'm saying. He's ranking as the number seventeen starting pitcher according to Yahoo and the fifty seventh player overall. But that's with you know being sold short on the win total. If you're looking at all the guys around him here, he's actually the first guy that we've talked about in these rankings at all who does not have double digit wins. We're going to talk about one other guy today who did not make it to double digit wins, but he didn't pitch the whole season. He came in at number twenty. But he got only seven wins, this other guy, in 80 innings. He came in as number 20 pitcher. You know, that's a huge bonus because he got the seven wins in like half a season. Gray got eight wins in a whole great season. So I just think he really got screwed there. Uh, you're, we should probably be looking at this season in, in a much better light. Now, in terms of how I project it for, and we're not looking at it in a negative light, but I think it was actually even probably better than a lot of the average fans who see it will remember because they'll see the 8-8 eight and eight record and think he was all right. He was a lot better than all right. Now, the projections think he's going to be pretty similar to next year. Not exactly the same, especially with the ERA. They think it'll go to 3.83. It's probably shooting a little bit high. You know, he's gone to St. Louis now where he's got a great defense behind him. I think they'll be able to save some runs for him. He's a pretty average left on base and BABIP type of guy. No massive outlier numbers there over the last few seasons, really ever. So it's not going to be a drastic change, I don't think. You're probably looking at like a 3.536 ERA. You're probably looking at a whip that's like close to 1.2, and you're looking at about average strikeout minus walk numbers, 24.3 on the strikeout rate, 7.3 on the walk rate. He was a very impressive season, and he just kind of flew under the radar. He Again, he's not somebody who has that like defining characteristic, almost like a steal. He's not going to blow you away. He's not somebody who's the flashiest pitcher on the mound. He just gets the job done, and he's done it you know, consistently now for the majority of his career. Sonny Gray has been around since 2013. 
He has a 3.47 ERA in more than 1,500 innings. That's pretty damn consistent. Uh, he's been pretty healthy. You know, he's, for the most part in his career, been able to go out there and give you upper 20s or low 30 total starts for the year. Last three seasons, you're looking at 32, 24, and 26. Very reliable, incredibly reliable pitcher uh, for the last several seasons and really for his whole career. Now, his price is not something that I'm terribly interested in. I don't think it's bad, but 125 is the ADP, 87 on the minimum, 173 is the maximum pick. We've seen some prices uh, for him kind of go up recently, and I guess it was since he signed in St. Louis, his price has gone up. Um, I don't want to take him inside the top 100, and people have been taking him inside the top 100. He's one of those kind of boring guys that we've mentioned before that can be you know a massive asset to your fantasy team just because no one's really that interested in them. But I also think Sonny Gray, again, without that defining massive strikeout total, going to a St. Louis team that is probably not going to be amazing. I don't know how many wins we're going to see from him necessarily. Like, is that eight going to you know regress? Probably. But is it going to be like 15 or 18? No, it's probably going to be like 10 or 11, maybe, without massive strikeout numbers. I just don't know that he's somebody that I really want to be taking in this range because this is the range where I'm taking like probably my third SP, maybe fourth, maybe second, depending on your build. I just think it's a little bit rich. You know, last year his price was like 260, 270. I think he probably should be going in like the 150 to 170 range. That's where I'd want to be taking him. Maybe, you know, a little bit earlier than that. But here we're talking inside your first 10 rounds. You're talking like round eight of a 15 team or roughly. I just think it's a little bit too expensive for me personally to want to be taking Sonny Gray. And I don't, again, I don't have a massive problem with it because he has shown us throughout his entire career that this is who he is. But I just think without having something to lean on there, whether it's the massive strikeouts, the great team context, I don't know that I want to be taking him where he's probably going to be my third starting pitcher. And at that point, you know, I'll, I'll probably consider myself out. If there's certain teams where I, I might take a chance, you know, certain draft rooms, he might fall to like the 150, 160 range, and then I'd be more interested. I just think at 120, 125, and especially if he's creeping up, which he is, that's just going to be a point. It's going to reach a point, and it already kind of is where I'm not going to be terribly interested in him. Let's move on, and let's talk Framber Valdez. Got to love Framber. You got to love what he does. Uh, this past season was a little bit up and down. There were points when it was amazing. He looked incredible. The overall end result was still really good, but I think it could have been uh, quite a bit better. And I don't know if it was bad luck, if it was just he ran into a couple of hot teams or whatever it was. Uh, but the month of July was what really sunk him for the season. He had a 7.29 ERA that month, 21 innings pitched. He allowed 17 earned runs, and that was what kind of did it, right? Uh, every other month, you're looking at 2.54, But if you look at first and second half splits, it was a 2.51 ERA in the first half. And again, it's heavily influenced by that 7.29, but a 4.66 ERA in the second half. It it's, it's, does play a part, right? It absolutely does matter. Um, that one month, but you also have to, <clears throat> excuse me, you also have to look at the whole season and see that he wasn't really improving as the year went on. Even though, you know, if you look at the entire season as a whole, you know, the strikeout rate was a little bit better than last year. The walk rate was a little bit better. The whip went down a little bit. I, you know, I, I'm really puzzled on what to make of, of Framber Valdez for this season. You know, he's got the great team context and he's projected for 14 wins, which is a very high number that you don't usually see in projections. Again, it's usually like in that kind of 10 to 14 range, but most of the guys are like 12 or 13. To have a 14 projected win number just goes to show you how great the team is around him, and that's not going to change. He is going to be expected to throw a lot of innings, and we've seen that the last two years, 201 and 198 regular season innings with some extra in the postseason each year as well. I just don't know that I want to be necessarily trusting that that profile. And it's not a, it's not bad. You know, There's nothing really that's that shocking in the profile. Um, but the second half of the season really does worry me. We're relying on him probably as like our second pitcher um, based on where he's going ADP. And I, ha I haven't even mentioned it. It's 62.75, 41 on the minimum, 84 on the maximum. I don't know that I want to be paying a third or a fourth round price for Framber Valdez, even if it's, you know, by that ADP 62. You're talking like beginning of the fifth round. But I just, again, at that point, he's probably your second starting pitcher. Maybe he's even your first. You know, there will be teams that have him as their ace. I just don't know if you can fall back on that. You know, outside of the team context, like the strikeout rate is really good, but it's not elite. It's 24.8% last year, projected to be 24.4. 
for the career, it's 23.4. So that's right where it's going to be, somewhere in that range. It's not going to blow you away. In 198 innings, he had exactly 200 Ks. So he needs to volume his way to greatness. You know, he can't just get there in a half a season worth of numbers like another guy we're going to talk about in a minute. He's not on that same level as a lot of the guys who are going to be going in this range. And I think a lot of it falls back on, well, he pitches for Houston. I don't know that I want to be paying that price. And at this point, I'm not paying it. Like, I, if he falls, but he won't fall, he's going to go up. Everybody's going to go up starting pitcher-wise at least a little bit. I just can't get behind it at this point, especially if he's going closer to that minimum. And now, if he falls, you know, closer to the maximum and you're getting Framber Valdez at pick 84 or it's somewhere in the late 70s and he's like your second, maybe third pitcher, depending on build, I can maybe get behind it. I just think it's kind of unnecessary. And his price, you know... It's not going to probably change to the point where I'm going to want in on any site. I think he's going to be somebody, based on the what he's done the last couple of seasons, which is very good, based on the name value, team context, he's going to go too high. And I just really don't want anything to do with him. Let's talk Kodai Senga. Kodai Senga was very polarizing this season because he was honestly good the whole year. But the walks were really troubling for a lot of people, especially early on. And people, I don't want to say people wrote him off, but people were not really uh, giving him his his credit early on in the season. And I think a lot of it does come down to that walk rate. He had a 415 ERA in April. He walked 18 batters in 26 innings. But he got better throughout the entire season. Uh, you saw a 331 ERA in the first half, which is already incredible. And then a 258 ERA in the second half. Kodai Senga... Finished with a sub-3 ERA. It was 298. He had an incredible 29% strikeout rate. Now, the walks were still the problem, right? Even with the you know improvement he saw, it was 11.1% walk rate. That's too high. But you got to figure another year in the, in the States, he is going to adjust more to American pitching or American batters, uh, American style, I should say. They're not all Americans, but I think you guys know what I'm, what I'm talking about. And I think that we'll probably see that walk rate come down. It might not be precipitous, but projections think it'll come down about a percent, percent and a half. I think you're probably looking at sub 10% and maybe the strikeout rate will go down a little bit. Maybe we'll see him focus uh, a, t- a touch more on location as opposed to just blowing guys away. It's possible. Um, I don't I don't think we're going to see a massive change in the actual results, though. I think you're probably still looking with Senga at a guy who's going to give you, you know, somewhere, maybe not sub three again, but somewhere in the three kind of range. Uh, it was 2.98. The pro, uh, excuse me. The projections are 3.78, which is kind of where his indicators were last year. 3.77 xFIP, 3.63 FIP, and you're looking at where is his Sierra now? 4.00. You're probably looking. I mean, 3.78 feels like a fair projection, but I honestly think you know we're. We're not giving him, I don't think the projections are giving him enough leeway for the transition. You know, uh, it was the first year and we saw him do this. Why do we think he's going to get worse with another year in the States? I think that they're probably looking at the skills and the projections. It's all computerized, right? It's not like one person doing this for Steamer in their head. It's it's computer projections and whatnot. And I'm sure they factor in uh, his years overseas as well. But I don't think they're giving him enough credit here based on how he improved in the second half based on what we have seen from him, you know, going back to what he, what he did overseas as well. He's not somebody I think that's going to just regress after having a year to adjust. I think we're going to see him kind of plateau and it might not be a sub three ERA, but I think even if it's like a three, five ERA, um, that's not really what I would really even call regression, right? Cause ERA is not sticky year to year. You have to look at the metrics, the indicators around it. And that's generally telling us he was like a three, five to four type of ERA guy. I don't really think he's going to get that much worse. And I guess, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. The projections are calling 378. That's maybe fair. I just think he can he can probably beat that. I don't think that we should look at that and say it's gospel like we shouldn't for any player. I think he's very, very capable of beating that number. His, his ADP is a little high at 72, but I think I'm taking him over Framber Valdez, right? Same range. You got guys who are going on opposite trajectories as the year went on. Houston's a much better team context, but I think Senga is the better investment. I, I really think at this point, I want to be targeting the guys who give me the great strikeout rates and the guy who, who showed me improvement over the course of the year over a guy who has kind of an average strikeout rate and definitely did not improve over the course of the year. A couple of guys in Houston, you know, Christian Javier as well, started off great, and then he kind of fell apart. I don't know if that's a Houston thing. I don't know if that's just randomness. 
But it's something to maybe take a look at, right? Uh, Framber was excellent in the first half. Javier was excellent in the first half, and they both kind of fell apart. This is not a Christian Javier thing. It's not even really a Framber Valdez thing. I just can't be taking a guy, like I said, who kind of deteriorated versus the guy who was kind of excelling as the year went on, uh, especially Senga going like you know half a round later. You might even be able to get him a full round later. It really depends on your room, but I think you got to go Senga there every time, even though they were just separated by one ranking, right? One SP ranking and one overall ranking. If you look at Yahoo, 60 versus 61 on the overall ranking board. Honestly, Framber, it comes in kind of high. I wouldn't have even expected him based on the 3.45 ERA and 12 wins to come in that high. 1.13 whip. I think it's more the volume, right? The 198 innings that he threw is a massive number. And the guys who are generally around him in this range are like anywhere from 130 to 190, I guess, 160. But he's... He's the outlier to some extent in terms of how many innings he threw in this grouping. Of all the guys we talked about today, uh, he threw the most innings in this 11 through 20 range. So part of that is the volume as well. But let's wrap this show up and talk about number 20. He is going to be somebody that is talked about ad nauseum this offseason. He already kind of has been. But it's impossible to not talk about him based on what we saw down the stretch, based on what we saw once he returned this season. And that is, of course, Tariq Skubal. Tariq Skubal was essentially God when he came back over the course of the second half of the season, the 2.8 ERA. The supporting metrics were a 2.56 XFIP, a 2.00 FIP, 2.28 on the X ERA, and a 2.77 Sierra. This also came with a 28.4 strikeout minus walk rate, 33 on the K percent, 4.5 on the walk percent. He was incredible. If you look at any leaderboards that are factoring in the time um, you know, you can't look at like full season long leaderboards because he's not going to qualify only throwing 80 innings. But if you just look at what he did, and I tweeted it out a little while ago, I'm um, just trying to find it now. It wasn't that long ago I tweeted out how he compared to everybody else. And I can't find it now. I had all of it sorted. Maybe I am searching for it wrong or something. My brain isn't working properly for some reason. But I had this whole thing about uh, Tariq Skubal. In any event, he ranked about first in pretty much every category if you sorted by 80 innings pitched. And that's what he threw, 80 innings pitched. That's all you can judge him on. He didn't qualify. But if you sort leaders by that metric, he is pretty much at the top of every single one, whether it's these ERA indicators, strikeouts, walks, anything. He's top five in everything. Now, people are using incredibly high draft picks on him, and this is where I kind of start to pause. 54 is the ADP for Scooble, 37 on the minimum, 106 on the maximum. It's going up. It's slightly going up, right? It's not like drastically, but you were getting him earlier in draft season between pick 60 and pick 80 a lot more routinely, and now we're seeing these minimum picks. Uh, I think the minimum pick was set actually in October, but we've seen him a couple times go in the late 30s, uh, he went pick 40 just a few days ago, and then 41. Um, he's he's starting to go up. His price is starting to go up like every pitcher, like we said. you know, This is something that happens every year. Earlier in draft season, you're getting him 60 to 80. Right now, it's 50 to 60, and then it'll eventually be in the 40s. Some people will take him in the 30s, and hell, somebody already did at pick 37. It's not a stretch to say that Scooble's going to have a third-round ADP pretty damn soon. Um, I can't do it. As much as I like him, we're talking about drafting him with this kind of price based on a sample size that was 15 games and 80 innings. As good as it was, I couldn't draft anybody based on that kind of sample size up there. It's the same arguments that I have, roughly the same arguments for Nolan Jones and Royce Lewis and Ellie De La Cruz to some extent. I can't be doing these massive ADP jumps based on very small sample sizes. It's not as small with Jones. It's slightly, again, these all cases kind of vary, but guys who are fairly young and unproven, generally speaking, who give you a good small sample size, and then there's a ton of hype around them the next year, they don't usually pan out. And Scooble in the third or the fourth round is almost never going to pan out for you. I'm hoping that once other sites open up, people will start to take him. Maybe I can get him like in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s, and then I'll be all right with taking him once, maybe twice, because at that point, I don't mind it, right? But the way he's going up on these sites at this point, not these sites, this site, the NFBC, which is where everybody's drafting right now, it's too much. It's just gotten out of hand. Uh, people are ranking him inside the top 10. I can understand it. People who are smarter than I am are ranking him inside their top 10. I just can't get behind it myself personally. 
you can shoot for the upside, but a lot of the time it's those boring guys that are falling rounds and rounds and rounds that are going to win you your your leagues and your overall titles. It's not going to be taking the second round Ellie, third round Royce Lewis, fourth round Nolan Jones, fifth round Scooble. It's not going to work. It, it's just not going to work most of the time. You need stability, and I don't think you're going to get stability from a lot of these guys. But Scooble specifically, guy who has had some injury troubles, he's healthy now. And I'm not going to hold the injuries in the past against him. That's my philosophy this year. If you're healthy, you're healthy right now. And I'm not going to look too, too much into it. Again, there are other cases. There are extreme cases. Byron Buxton, Jazz Chisholm, Eloy Jimenez. These guys, there's too long of a history to be fooled by them again. But a guy like Scooble, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But even if he is healthy over the course of a full season, the skill jump that we saw in such a small sample size could be attributed to the fact that it was just a small sample size and they weren't actual true blue changes. Now, I'm more inclined to believe that it's real than it's not real considering the velocity jump, but I'm also not wanting to find out if it's real or not real in the third round. So I'm going to be passing on Scooble as much as I like him and I'd want to be interested. Again, let's see if he falls once we get to drafting in February and March, once you're drafting on CBS and ESPN and Fandrax, wherever then we'll see, but as of right now, NFBC-wise, I can't be taking Scooble where he's going. But that'll wrap us up. That is part one and part two done now of our starting pitcher review. We have gone through 20 names. We will probably do at least, I don't know, I don't know how long these are going to go on for. We're still kind of playing it by ear. We might just honestly finish out the year with starting pitchers for the most part. We'll do a couple of other random shows. Christmas, we'll do something a little bit different because that does fall on a weekday. We'll have some kind of show go on Christmas. But I'm not sure exactly how deep we are going to go. Regardless, we're still going. We're going to keep chugging along with starting pitchers tomorrow. We'll probably do 21 through 30, maybe. If we're feeling ambitious, we'll shorten the player analysis on each player and go 21 through 40. We'll see. Either way, we'll be here talking starting pitchers unless there is some earth-shattering news or trade that requires instant analysis. The way that the waters have been moving recently, I'm not expecting it. Everything is slow as molasses. These floodgates that were supposed to open once Otani signed did not open so we're kind of just waiting around here. We'll continue chugging along with SPs. Until then, though, check me out over on Twitter. I'm at JoeOrico99. Ethos Fantasy BB is our page for all of our articles, podcasts, news and notes, polls, anything like that. And, of course, SportsEthos.com is the website. I bang you guys over the head with it every day because I hope that you guys will go and check out all the great work over there. For those of you who listen every day and have to hear it, my apologies. This is for the new listeners who are coming in, and we are starting to find you guys now again. Uh, the numbers are jumping up with people starting to get back into baseball, starting their prep. So for you new guys, go and check out on socials. For you old guys, appreciate you listening to me ramble on every single day. But we'll conclude the rambling here. We'll leave it at that. Until tomorrow, guys, take care, have a great night, and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.